this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast my name is jayant shriram and i'm your host for today in this weekend edition of in focus we discuss sports and look at the controversial rise and rapid implosion of the European Super League in football. So, right off the bat, there are a couple of unique things about the story. The first is that it seemed to run an entire cycle in just a few days. Plans for the Super League or ESL as it was dubbed were announced last weekend. The backlash by players, fans, pundits, nearly everyone involved in football was so intense and so immediate subsequently that it became clear in just a couple of days that this idea was a non-starter and would have to be wound up the other unique thing about the story of course is in an era of corporate control over sport this was a huge victory for fans for the intrinsically local sentiment in football prevailing over this attempt to create a closed league of superpowers so what was the esl and why did it fail what has been the fallout of that failure and is the idea now dead or could it be brought back again in the future these are the questions we'll take up today and i'm joined by one of the hindus top sports reporters ashwin achar ashwin thank you for joining us on the podcast today thank you so much for having me jayant right so um let's just go over what like i said this is a story that kind of ran its entire course over you know the past 5 6 days which is extremely unusual so let's just start with what happened over last weekend when you know as i think some premier league matches were going on this um the news broke that six clubs had uh, decided to join the european super league now so w- what is the idea basically what is the european super league chain so this all comes back to money uh what these six english clubs and the three spanish and italian clubs want to do or propose to do was to have a closed competition a closed tournament instead of the uh, uefa champions league wherein these 12 teams and the few others who would join later would keep playing amongst themselves and there would be no promotion no relegation so you know their income is fixed their income is guaranteed and uh at the cost of being repetitive uh, it doesn't matter because you're guaranteed uh, these clubs are guaranteed money in their pocket uh, so that was the driving force uh, behind this proposal and the announcement and of course we will discuss uh, soon i know uh, it didn't uh, really go through right so just to press you on that a little bit more so when you say that this would be like this would be like a super league so does it mean that all other existing competitions would basically stand redundant as far as these clubs are concerned they would pull out of the premier league and the uefa champions league so they would pull out of the champions league uh, but the english clubs and the um, other uh, spanish and italian clubs wanted to continue in their domestic leagues uh, that is uh, man united tottenham liverpool uh, they wanted to continue in the english premier league uh, it's just that they didn't want to be a part of the champions league Uh, now the problem here is uh, they wanted the best of both worlds and uh, obviously uh, it was not going to work because uh, once you have a faction like this 
you're either in or out. So there was no way that these clubs could continue to play in their own domestic leagues and also form their own breakaway league because at the end of the day, it's all connected. It is the champions and the winners of the domestic leagues who enter the Champions League. So uh, you can't have one without the other. Right. And, you know, but how, you know, what is the kind of history of this proposal? Because, you know, it made a lot of news this weekend because these clubs actually decided to go ahead with it, or so they thought. But uh, what's the history of this idea? And who are its, uh, you know, principal backers? Uh, who came up with this idea? How long has it been around? It's actually been around uh, for a long time now, Giant. Uh, the idea was first floated in 1998, all the way back in 1998. Uh you know, these were just talks at the time. It didn't go through. Uh, and then uh, it was Florentino Perez, who's the Real Madrid president, who took the idea seriously, started making some noise about it in 2008, 2009. And then as recently as 2018 is when it started gathering steam. Uh, I think uh, and now uh, with uh, last week uh, was when uh, they uh, all got together and made a formal announcement. Uh, so this has been a long time coming. Uh, and uh, yes, it's definitely the Real Madrid president, uh, Florentino Perez, uh, who is uh, the man calling the shots here. Right. But also, um, you know, it has backers not just in Spain, but also in Italy and in the Premier League. Right. So um, in the Premier League, so, sort of which of the clubs I'm asking about the Premier League, because um, for a lot of viewers in India, they're kind of more familiar with that league. That's the one that shows the most. Um, who are the kind of principal backers amongst the Premier League clubs? The Premier League is an interesting uh, case in itself, uh, Giant, because it is in the Premier League that you have quite a few American owners. Now, we know uh, that in America, you look at all their major sports league, uh, the NBA for basketball, MLB for baseball, NFL for American football. Uh, they follow a franchise model, uh, wherein... Uh, there is no relegation and promotion. It's the same set of teams uh, who have paid up and uh, got their spot in the franchise league. And their spot is guaranteed. Uh, regardless of how well or how badly they do, they will always uh, be a part of the league. So I think the American owners, uh, specifically, uh, you look at uh, Arsenal, it is Stan Kroenke. You look at uh, Manchester United, owned by John Glazer and the Glazer family. You look at Liverpool. John Henry, who also owns the Fenway Sports Group. All three of them are Americans. Uh, so they are definitely used to uh, the American way of doing things, which is fixed income, guaranteed spots. And uh, when they come over to England and try to manage a sports team in England, the whole concept of relegation, promotion uh, is a bit alien to them, even though they have been around for a few years. But I think they... Uh, definitely prefer the American sports model where there is no relegation and you are guaranteed a big chunk of the income. Uh, so I think Americans are just used to franchise-based models. Uh, I mean, you talk to the average American and ask him about uh, relegation, promotion, it, it will not make sense at all to them because, uh, you know, every sports league there is on a pay-and-play model. Uh, regardless of how well or badly you do, you will be there the next year, the next year and the next year. So the backlash primarily has been from the footballing nations uh, in Europe, uh, wherein uh, 
there are no guaranteed spots for them. I mean, you know, every season, season after season, there's a big battle for relegation, big battle for promotion right across uh, all the different uh, leagues uh, in Europe. Uh, so this concept of uh, guaranteed spots is completely alien to the Europeans and uh, obviously uh, it does not fit well at all with their uh, sports culture. It is definitely the, there is some, uh, not some, there is a heavy American influence here in this uh, creation of the proposed uh, European Super League. Uh, and uh, it I think it uh, sort of boils down to a capitalist way of looking at things, uh, whereas football in general is supposed to be an inclusive sport. Uh, I think that is the basis of football. You know, it is open to everybody, regardless of how rich, poor, which race or sex. Uh, it doesn't matter. That is the basis of uh, football. And obviously, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, being uh, sort of uh, closed off and excluding people, it has just not gone down well at all. Right. So just to kind of uh, take a hypothetical, a few years back, Leicester City won the Premier League. It was largely seen as you know, completely unprecedented because in, in the Premier League, there, there is the big four. Now we call them the big six. But if you go, so if you sort of go by this system, then Leicester is not one of the clubs that can get admission to this uh, sort of elite exclusive group of clubs, right? Which is what the European Super League would have been. Exactly. And and uh, see, these are the things uh, that have uh, come under a lot of uh, criticism lately because uh, like you rightly said, uh, a team like Rester, it was a fairy tale run. I mean, one of the probably the biggest uh, upsets in sports history was when they won the Premier League title and they'd earned their spot in the Champions League. Uh, whereas if you follow the European uh, Super League model, uh, there is no place for teams like uh, Leicester to, uh, you know, show how good they are on the big stage in the European stage. And you look at the teams uh, here, um, Chayant, who are uh, at least from England, uh, who are part of this European Super League uh, proposal. You have teams like Arsenal and Tottenham. Uh, now, uh, at least based on current form, right. uh, these teams would not even make it to the uh, Champions League because they are not uh, doing too well right now. So, uh, it's not only a point of where the exceptional teams like Liverpool want to guarantee their spots. It's also the not-so-good team, the below-average teams like Arsenal and Tottenham also want to guarantee their spots. So, that has not uh, gone down too well at all. And this includes Manchester United. I mean, uh, they've been a bit up and down. Sure, things are a little bit better now. But it's just strange. Uh, if you think uh, about teams like Arsenal or any, any of these teams, um, nothing is permanent, right, in sport. I mean, in five or six years from now, any one of these teams can even be relegated. But yet... Even if they're relegated right. and, and if they're doing absolutely horribly, they'll still be a part of the European Super League, uh, which is which is bizarre and it uh, goes against uh, the spirit of competition. Right. So let's just come to the backlash now because, as I said, this is a story that kind of, you know, the rise and fall of this European Super League idea was just over a few days. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was the immediate fallout? I read a lot of commentary, but, you know, was there was it was it sort of uniform from pundits from fans did did everybody think this was a terrible idea across the board giant from what we can see everybody thought this was a bad idea and uh, it started uh, as soon as the announcement was made uh, gary neville who former manchester united uh, player who's now doing commentary on air during the match 
you know, he criticized the move. And then later he came up on uh, Sky Sports, absolutely blasted uh, this proposal. And, you know, uh, not just him, there were other former players too, like um, Jamie Carragher and uh, Rio Ferdinand. And when a former Manchester United player like Gary Neville speaks out against his own club and he was most severe uh, with his criticism on Manchester United or somebody like Jamie Carragher criticizes his own club, Liverpool, that carries a lot of weight. And I'm sure that all the criticism uh, made by pundits and uh, former players like uh, Neville and so on, it riled up the fans, riled up the fans to such a degree that uh, we saw protests Outside uh, the Chelsea uh, stadium, when uh, the team was supposed to play a match, there were protests at Arsenal. Uh, so, you know, it was just a, an immediate build-up of resentment, an immediate build-up. Uh, and uh, honestly, uh, there were no supporters, uh, at least people in position of power, uh, players, ex-players, pundits, the media, there was no support at all for this move. And to go one step further, even there were some current players and managers themselves who criticized it. Uh, you look at uh, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp. You look at uh, Liverpool player uh, James Milner. You look at uh, Man City manager Pep Guardiola. These guys were all openly critical. And the point to note here also is, from what we can uh, understand, none of the players and managers were actually consulted in any level of detail before the team owners uh, made this announcement about the European Super League. I mean, this is shocking because you think about players and managers of these clubs. They are a very big stakeholder in this. And uh, from what we can read now, uh, none of the players and managers were really consulted before the announcement was made. And uh, obviously, uh, after the fact, they were all taken by shock and uh, they all uh, reacted very negatively. So across the board, heavy criticism. Right. And the other thing is, you know, just to place this in a larger context, um, it's been a year now, you know, during this pandemic, football kind of resumed some sometime in the middle of last year, but it has been, you know, stadiums have largely been empty. Mm-hmm. Um, the sport is struggling financially. Many of these clubs, though they're extremely rich, are struggling. Um, has that also sort of factored into the the protests against this idea? Because, you know, it just seems so out of tune with the reality of the world, which is going through this financial, um, you know, crisis. And here are these super rich clubs coming together to make more money for themselves, right? Big time, uh, big time, Giant. Uh, uh, when it comes to the uh, pandemic, uh, you can look at it in two ways. Uh, the one way to look at it is, no one, no club, no industry has been spared by the pandemic in terms of financial losses. And this holds good for even the biggest clubs like Real Madrid, uh, Juventus, AC Milan, all the clubs who are part of this uh, ESL. They've all been affected very, very badly. And when you're affected really badly, uh, you are pushed to take some decisions which sort of mitigate these losses. And the ESL was born out of this. Uh, so there was, you could say to some extent, the clubs, uh, the hands were tied, or uh, not hands were tied. I think a better way would be they were pushed to take this decision in the light of all the losses they have uh, suffered now. But on the other hand, there is no one who's been spared and the whole world is suffering, not just financially, emotionally, fatalities. I mean, uh, this is a horrible, horrible 
face in humankind and to think that these clubs would pull off or try to pull off a selfish greedy move like this it has not gone down well at all because like you said it's you know it you guys the big clubs are not the only ones who are suffering all of us are suffering and this is a time for empathy uh, and being selfless not selfish right so what's been the kind of fallout in terms of personnel um, have any of these managers or not managers but the people who run these big clubs have they have they offered to resign you know have they i mean they've obviously really lost face because um to kind of come up with this idea and backtrack after a couple of days big victory for the fans big victory for you know the the people who run football and who play football but w- what is it what has been the fallout for the owners and the kind of structure that made this that kind of came up with this proposal in the first place uh so the uh immediate fallout is everybody involved in this move uh, move have been forced to apologize i know that is uh, not very severe sanctions but that's where it is now right. um the liverpool owner john henry he's apologized um the glazer family have apologized uh stan cronky has uh, reportedly apologized to the players and the manager not public uh and uh, the the premier league uh, has put the first sanction and they have said that all officials from these clubs who are involved in the premier league committees have to either resign or they will be chucked out uh, now what we mean by that is the premier league has several committees uh, for example there is an audit and remuneration committee which has uh, the chelsea uh, chelsea chairman on board and then there is a club strategic advisory group uh, which has uh, yeah arsenal uh, office bearers on board so uh after this has happened the premier league has made the first move and said all club officials who are involved in this esl have to resign from the premier league committees that is the first concrete piece of action and uh, in terms of um, uefa and fifa they haven't announced any uh, sanctions yet uh, because i think they want to close this chapter and move on and not uh, be antagonistic uh, but uh, we can wait and see i think there are more sanctions uh, coming up uh, because uh, not for the players or the managers uh, but i think for the club officials i think there might be more sanctions coming up in terms of uh, bans or resignations and also uh, another thing this is not really a sanction but uh, the club fans uh, the arsenal fans man united fans liverpool fans tottenham fans they are out in big numbers protesting against the club ownership uh they want all the owners to resign and there's a lot of pressure now on the owners uh, of course it's up to them it's it's not uh, that easy to get them to vacate their seats uh but the mood is totally against them and uh on moral grounds they might be forced to resign right um and just a more, sort of more recent development past couple of days is that um there's been some reforms to the champions league uh, which have been announced so um just can we just sort of briefly go over this is this a response to the european super league proposal uh, no not uh, not particularly because um see these issues uh, with the uh, current champions league uh, they have been flagged before and uh, there have been changes happening uh, right through the years small changes but changes nevertheless the most recent uh, change like you mentioned is an expansion in the number of teams uh now this 
you know, is sort of caters to what uh, the ESL teams want. I mean, the more number of teams, the more matches you'll play, the more uh, revenue that uh, you can generate. And also, even if you don't do too well in your own domestic league, if you have more number of teams that can qualify to the Champions League, uh, all the big teams and all teams have a better chance of actually making it uh, to the Champions League. So that is the uh, most uh, recent change that is happening uh, in the Champions League. It it may be uh, pushed through faster because of all this that has gone down with the ESL. But the Champions League has been constantly involving and they have been sort of taking all the complaints uh, from um, teams into consideration and changes have been happening uh, slowly but surely. Right. Um, and just to sort of end this conversation, Ashwin, um, you mentioned that the idea for the European Super League has been around since 98. Um, it's taken a long time for it to, you know, for these clubs to actually make a move. Mm-hmm. And it's been shot down for now. Um, you know, the fans have won. But um, is there a possibility that this will sort of rear its head again, that it will, that this idea will make a comeback? I think uh, this is far from being dead, Jaint. Uh, you know, if you look at it in, uh, say, poker terms, uh, what uh, has happened now is uh, that this is like a tester bet that the uh, ESL teams have put out. Just a tester bet. Right. Let's see how people react. And it was done very clumsily um, and uh, the PR around it was horrible. We accept all that, but this is just a test of it. They just showed their hand a little bit. Let's see how people react. And then when they saw the unbelievably negative reaction, the, uh, the criticism from all quarters, uh, they panicked and they folded. This hand, this hand alone, they have folded. So they've got some idea about what the public reaction would be to a move like this. Now, when you move on a little further in the future, all the gaps and all the criticism that they have received from this instance, I'm sure they will work on everything. And the next time they come out, they will have a much stronger hand. So I think that's where it is uh, right now. So this is... uh, Uh, something that will continue to develop because uh, let's be honest uh, at the end of the day money rules everything so uh, whatever said and done um, these clubs will want to gain uh, financially uh, whether it's today or whether it's 100 years from now profits rule everything and the ESL for all its negatives is a money making machine so there is no way that these clubs will just let go of all that money so easily. It's just that the next iteration might be a more uh, well-presented iteration. It uh, might uh, have all the players and coaches on board, uh, which is not the case this time. They might, uh, uh, you know, sort of word it better. Uh, but I think this is not the end of uh, this chapter, I'm sure. Uh, there is another uh, round of uh, ESL talk coming up uh, in the near future. Right. On that note, Ashwin, we'll end this conversation there. Thank you so much. It was fascinating talking to you and getting a sort of detailed explainer on this issue. Thanks for making time for us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.